bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. This week, eight years ago, Steve Preston was sworn in as the 14th Secretary of HUD. President George W. Bush heralded Preston's background in finance to help manage the 2008 housing crisis. Preston served just seven months, but during his tenure, the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008 was passed, as was the Economic Stabilization Act of 2009, and the government assumed control of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. He was succeeded by Sean Donovan as Bush left office. To start off our podcast this week, I'll recap a report commissioned by the City of I Fund that suggests how low-income housing tax credits, new markets tax credits, and renewable energy tax credits can drive more investment into Native communities. In our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll briefly go over the House Appropriations Committee's approved Transportation HUD funding bill for fiscal year 2017. I'll then discuss a new bill that was introduced that would allow homeless students to qualify for low-income housing tax credit housing. In news from HUD, I'll talk about clarified guidance on utility allowances under the HOME program. I'll also summarize the findings of a report by the Office of Inspector General at the Treasury Department on how well California State Allocating Agency complied with Section 1602 requirements. In new markets tax credit news, I'll share details of one community development leader's written testimony urging lawmakers to expand and make permanent the new markets tax credit. In our historic tax credit section, I'll share some good news from Maryland, which recently extended the sunset of its state historic tax credit by five years. And I'll close out with renewable energy tax credit news, where I'll discuss a report on how the renewable energy production tax credit extension has opened opportunities for wind energy development. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the CDFI Fund released a report that it commissioned to help improve access to capital and credit in Native communities. The report found that programs such as the New Markets Tax Credit can help increase Native CDFIs' capitalization. But few Native CDFIs apply for the highly competitive New Markets Tax Credit. As a result, few Native CDFIs have received allocations. According to the report, Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA, funds rarely get directed to Native communities, even though Native CDFIs meet CRA criteria. The report did make a few recommendations. One is that Native community housing developers should leverage known income streams to address low-income housing demand. In particular, the report said that developers should reach out to low-income housing tax credit and new market tax credit investors. When considering participation in the new markets tax credit program, Native CDFIs should decide whether or not it's better to become a community development entity and apply for new market tax credit allocation issuing authority or to market themselves to existing CDEs. And the suggestions also go beyond the long housing tax credit and new markets tax credit. 
The report also discussed clean energy development as an economic driver. One example included in the report was of a tribal community building a utility-scale solar energy facility using federal solar investment tax credits. In essence, the report encourages Native communities to explore the many public and private partnerships that can drive more dollars into their communities. For a copy of the report, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. You can learn more about ways to leverage investment in Native communities at our Novogradic 2016 New Markets Tax Credit Conference this week in Washington, D.C. We'll have a panel of community development entities discussing their tips for successful transactions in underserved Native communities. You can register for the conference today at www.novaco.com. In affordable housing news, a fiscal year 2017 Transportation HUD funding bill was approved by the House Appropriations Committee last week. The T-HUD bill provides $58.2 billion for fiscal year 2017. The amount is $889 million more than fiscal year 2016, but $4.9 billion less than the Obama administration's request for fiscal year 2017. It's not clear when the full House will consider the T-HUD bill, but the House will likely consider the bill before the July 15th recess for the national conventions. However, even if the House approves the bill without any major change, Congress will likely resort to another temporary stopgap funding bill or continuing resolution to keep the federal government funded from October 1st until after the November presidential elections. The House has, has given up trying to pass a fiscal year 2017 budget resolution because some House conservatives oppose using the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015 to set the overall fiscal year 2017 discretionary budget. The overall budget of $1.07 trillion is used to allocate funding among the 12 annual spending bills. The bottom line is that the T-HUD bill and the other spending bills will face great difficulty passing the entire House and being signed by the President before October 1st. If you're interested in how funds are allocated to programs under the House Appropriations Committee's T-HUD bill, go to my notes from Novogratic blog. In other legislative news, a Washington congressman introduced a bill to qualify homeless students for the low-income housing tax credit program. Representative Jim McDermott, a Democrat, introduced the Housing for Homeless Students Act of 2015 with four co-sponsors. The bill is companion legislation to a bill introduced last year in the Senate by Al Franken, a Democrat from Minnesota. The Senate bill has five co-sponsors and was assigned to the Senate Finance Committee. The legislation would allow full-time students who are or who recently have become homeless to qualify for housing financed through the Long Housing Tax Credit Program. Students are currently not generally allowed to be the leaseholder of Long Housing Tax Credit apartments. The original purpose of this rule was to prevent the tax credit from being used to build dormitories, but there have already been some exceptions made, such as for youth aging out of foster care and individuals in job training programs. McDermott's legislation will allow students to be leaseholders in low-income housing tax credit properties if they were homeless during any time of the previous seven years and they met the definition of homeless children and youth under the McKinney-Vento Homelessness Assistant Act. 
veterans who were homeless at any point during the previous five years would also be eligible to rent a low-income housing tax credit apartment. McDermott's bill was assigned to the House Ways and Means Committee, of which he is a member. Republicans Dave Reichart from Washington and Eric Paulson from Minnesota were both co-sponsors and are both members of the Ways and Means Committee as well. The legislation is H.R. 5290, and you can find it at www.taxcredithousing.com. In other news, HUD recently released guidance for home program subsidized rental units that would provide properties with more accurate utility allowances. The guidance updates the 2013 Home Final Rule, which had a few unclear sections. For home properties with funds committed after August 23, 2013, Utility allowances will be based on the facts and circumstances of each individual development. There will no longer be a blanket utility allowance for every development in a participating jurisdiction. This according to my partner Thomas Stagg, who is based in our Metro Seattle office. Therefore, a property with a tightly sealed building envelope and energy efficient utilities would no longer receive the same utility allowance as a property that is less energy efficient. Depending on your property, there are five methods to choose from when calculating your development's utility allowance, which are the same methods available to low-income housing tax credit projects under Treasury Regulation 1.42-10. They include the HUD Utility Allowance Schedule Model, the Multifamily Housing Utility Analysis, the, the Utility Company Estimate, the LIHTC Agency Estimate, and the Energy Consumption Model or Engineer Model. The guidance also addresses conflicting utility allowance requirements. If your affordable housing property has two sets of rental subsidy and therefore two different sets of utility allowances, then you can request to waive the home utility requirements. Now the guidance is posted at www.hudresourcecenter.com and to learn more about how the guidance could affect your properties, check out the June issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. And if you have any further questions, please reach out to Thomas Stagg. In state housing news, the Office of Inspector General at the Treasury Department issued a report on its audit of California's Section 1602 program. The results were not great, but also not substantially bad. The Section 1602 program, of course, came out of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. The Section 1602 program allowed Treasury to make grants, cash grants, to states in lieu of low-income housing tax credits. California has the largest affordable housing program in the nation, and the state was awarded $477 million in exchange for low-income housing tax credits in 2009 and 2010. That money funded 96 properties, many of which had been stalled during the economic crisis. The investment yielded more than 6,000 apartments. The Office of the Inspector General is required to oversee the Section 1602 program in its audit of California found two minor problems. The first was that the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee did not initially return to the Treasury Department all of the excess interest it earned. However, once notified, the Allocation Committee returned slightly more than $43,000 to the Treasury. The Tax Credit Allocation Committee also failed to provide a timely on-site inspection for one development funded by the 1602 program. Again, though, the allocating agency completed its inspection shortly after the assigned deadline. The Office of Inspector General concluded that California's errors were not intentional and didn't systematically 
affect the California Tasker Allocation Committee's compliance with the program rules. According to the report, the state agreed with the conclusions. The report also shows that the program largely worked as promised, providing funding for affordable housing during a time when the equity market was in a downturn. If you're interested in more information about the Section 1602 program, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. In New Markets Tax Credit News, last week, the NMTC Coalition submitted testimony urging lawmakers to make the New Market Tax Credit program permanent. The written testimony was authored by New Market Tax Credit Coalition Board President Robert Davenport, and the testimony was submitted for consideration to the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Tax Policy. Davenport highlighted several reasons the New Market Tax Credit program should be made permanent. For one, the New Market Tax Credit has a proven track record in meeting the capital needs of struggling urban, rural, and Native American communities across the country, wrote Davenport. The program has generated $38 billion in direct investment from 2003 through 2014. Another benefit of the program is that it provides a return on investment to the federal government. In 2012, new market tax credit finance businesses generated more than $980 million in federal tax revenue. This more than covers the estimated $800 million cost of the new market tax credit in terms of lost tax revenue in 2012. In addition, new market tax credit investments in 2012 nationwide generated more than $540 million in state and local tax revenue. Now, the need for more credit authority is apparent. Over the history of the program, demand for credits has vastly outstripped supply. Between 2003 and 2015, the U.S. Treasury received allocation applications for about $315 billion and had only about $51 billion in allocation authority available. In conclusion, Davenport said that the new market tax credit needs to be expanded and made permanent. You can find the testimony at www.newmarketscredits.com. And in related news, the New Market Tax Credit Coalition will release its 2016 New Market Tax Credit Progress Report this Wednesday, tomorrow. The 12th edition of the report will provide data on how the New Market Tax Credit was used in 2015. This includes the types of businesses financed, the communities that are benefiting from the investing, and the impact of these investments at both the community and national level. I'll tweet the link as soon as it's available. In historic tax credit news, I have an exciting announcement out of Maryland. Maryland recently reauthorized its state historic tax credit program. The program's sunset date was extended from next year, July 1, 2017 to be exact, to July 1, 2022. The program's termination date is extended for commercial, small commercial, and owner-occupied residential property rehabilitations. Senate Bill 759 also renames the program the Heritage Structure Rehabilitation Tax Credit Program. The initiative was previously called the Sustainable Communities Tax Credit Program. Now, the credit remains 20% for commercial and residential properties, and projects can get a 25% credit if involved rehabilitating a high-energy performance certified historic structure. Senate Bill 759 was approved by Governor Larry Hogan on May 19th. Now, to learn more about the bill, go to 
www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, Fitch Ratings sees clear skies ahead for the wind energy industry. The credit rating agency released a new report predicting solid growth for wind power generation from 2016 through 2018. Fitch Ratings gives credit in part to extension of the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. Fitch Ratings called the Production Tax Credit the most effective government program to date to promote the adoption of wind power. The agency said that the recent five-year extension of the Production Tax Credit will support a more stable wind construction cycle and could lead to greater efficiency when it comes to cost. This special report is called Smooth Sailing Ahead for Wind Power, and it's available by subscription at www.fitchratings.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And for those of you attending our New Markets Tax Credit Conference in Washington, D.C. this week, I'll see you there. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.